Okay, this is Bill Lytell, Senior Pastor of Gospel Baptist Church. We are making these sermons available on sermonaudio.com, iTunes, podcast, Gospel Baptist Church, or gospelbaptistchurch.com. You can get these uh, usually about now. We're going to try to get them up by 11 o'clock. Let's have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for the few minutes together. We thank you for our country. We thank you for our president. We thank you for those in leadership under this distressing time. We pray that the Holy Spirit would fill me, use me, uh, use the word of God to help your people. Uh, Father, may you just uh, cause us to uh, step up to the plate, to let our light so shine before men that they may see our good works and glorify our Father which is in heaven. Father, just help us to do the right thing. Give us wisdom. We need it. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to preach out of the book of Revelation, chapter 2, chapter 2. Book of Revelation, chapter 2 and 3, are the seven churches uh, that were that the Holy Spirit directed John the Apostle when he was isolated on the Isle of Patmos. Uh, he was uh, told to speak to the seven churches. I think there's a lot to this, even more than we understand. It's been said these seven churches represent the average seven churches that are anywhere in the world. In other words, basically in the world, uh, one of these seven churches, the Gospel Baptist is one of these seven churches, meaning like one of those seven in their characteristics. The sad part about that is uh, only five of them, only two, excuse me, only two of them, anything good was spoken about. Uh, uh, the rest of them had, had uh, some things spoken against them, and a couple of them, they didn't even have any good things said, only bad. And so as that makes sense, because that's the way churches are today. If you went through the churches in Bonita, uh, you, and you would find some of them are, are very liberal. Some of them are, are the church of Laodicea, the church that thinks it's uh, rich and thinks it's fine because they have a lot of money in the bank, because the people going there are mostly professional people or they're prof- people of education. And so they think they're, they're, they're like the elite of God. And he says, no, no, no. He says, when it comes to me, you're blind, you're naked. And uh, so the, these books are good to look at. And in the second chapter, the verses 8 through 11, I want to talk about this church of Smyrna. Smyrna means to be crushed. It was one of the churches that nothing bad was said about. Let me read the verses. And under the angel of the church of Smyrna write, These things say it's the first and the last who was dead and is alive. Obviously, this is talking about Jesus. I know thy works and tribulation and poverty, but thou art rich. And I know the blasphemy of them which say they are Jews and are not, but are of the synagogue of Satan. That's folks who say they're Christian, but really they're not. They're Christian only in the system of Christianity. He said, they're of the synagogue of Satan. Well, it makes sense if they're pretending to be a Christian or if they're a, a false Christian, that would be what Satan is. And he's a duplicator. Uh, 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 he's a liar, and he, even that's, that's what's described there. In verse 10, and this is the title of the sermon, Fear none of those things that thou shalt suffer. Fear none of those things thou shalt suffer. Behold, the devil shall cast some of you into prison, that you may be tried. Like it or not, that is the fate. And that is actually the promise of God. And you shall have tribulation ten days. Be thou faithful unto death, and I will give thee a crown of life. Oftentimes I have prayed through the years. 
I picked this up, that God would help me to be faithful unto death. You don't say that arrogantly. You don't say that beating your chest. You say that humbly and, and with fear and trembling, that you as a human, would, when it came the time to really stand up for God, you would. Even if it meant them taking you out and executing you like they did Paul, uh, you'd, you'd do the right thing. And he says, if you'll do that, I'll give you a crown of life. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. He that overcometh shall not be hurt of the second death. An interesting, interesting point about the seven churches, at the end of each one of them, there is this phrase, to he that, they, let me read it for you, he that overcometh. So we're really overcomers. The true believer that loves God and is sincere and honest of heart is an overcomer. Um, I, I was a member at Bob Jones University of a society called Nica, uh, uh, well, we had a little phrase called Nicodia Christa. It meant victory in Christ in Latin. We'd all get together at soccer before we played soccer, put our hands together, and go, Nicodia Christa, victory in Christ, amen. We'd all throw our hands up and go out and play the game, you know, how they do in basketball in different places. But uh, it means to have victory. We're more than conquerors, according to Romans 8.37. We're more than conquerors to him that loved us. In this present crisis that we're living, uh, whatever happens, we don't have to, we can pillow our head at night and say God's going to use us for his glory. Our prayer should be, may my life and may my death be for the glory of God. And that's just a wonderful goal to have. Uh, that way they can't really touch you. Oh, yeah, they can take your physical body and they can do what they want with it. They can, they can put you in jail and rot a lonely life out in jail. But if you're doing that for the glory of God, God said, <laughs> uh, you're going to get a great reward. So we're, we're living in 2008, and I don't know if you remember 2008 when we had, uh, I think 2007 is when it started. We had 15 years before that of economic absolute boom. I mean, this area and it went crazy. Uh, house prices tripled. They doubled. Uh, they, some people's houses went up from $250,000 up to a million one of my neighbors, in fact, was uh, just rejoicing the fact that they were going to sell their house for a million dollars. Almost from one week to the next, the bottom fell out of all that. I mean, the bottom fell out. Her house not only did not sell for a million dollars, she couldn't get 250000 out of it. And that was what they billed it for uh, years earlier. So the Bible's true, right? Riches, they take wings and they fly away. About the time you think, you have actual possession of them. They'll, they'll slip out of your hand. And that was, an that was a time of economic uh, fear. Uh, we have fear now of this, of this disease, of this uh, virus uh, that, is, that are killing folks and it's easy to catch and don't know you have it. You're still contagious when you don't know you have it, stuff like that. And we, uh, we have uh, decided to suspend services on campus here for two weeks in honor of President Trump, who I personally voted for, and many of our people here at Gospel voted for, as our leader asked us yesterday if everybody would cooperate with him and just give him 15 days, give him a chance, give him 15 days to see if they can get a lid on this. The point, what I'm saying is that they're trying to come up with a cure for this or a way at least to uh, slow it so that the medical facilities of our country not overrun. 
It makes sense to me. I met with the deacons today, 15 or so men, and I, mean, I called four, five, six people outside of this church all over the United States, got their opinion, wise men, men of, men of wisdom, men of age, men of education, spiritual men, and I never had one person tell us to stay open, to go ahead and shut the campus down for a couple of weeks. So under that kind of total unanimity, uh, I, bl- I believe the pastor, it was the best thing for us to do. Hopefully, by the grace of God, we're going to open everything back up April 5th. Don't know for sure yet. We'll see what develops. Everything seems to be almost changing day by day now. But we're going to, we're shooting at least for April 5th to open everything up. But fear, uh, fear will replace uh, peace. There is no mixing of fear and faith. Can't do it. Luke chapter 21, verse 25-26 says, and, and the signs of the end times, which I'm not saying this is, by the way. We've got to be fairly close. We may be 100 years away. Maybe uh, maybe, maybe we're not. Maybe we're real close. I, I, nobody's going to know that. We know the season, and we know the season is close for the end times. Second coming, raptured church, second coming of Christ, seven years later. But Jesus said, and there should be signs in the sun and the moon and the stars and upon the earth to stress distress of nations. That's interesting. Is that not what we have now? We literally have distress of nations with perplexity. And I think that's interesting. That means they don't know how to get out of it. Most of the time you can figure your way out of some, you know, you get in a trap, you get in a trouble, you, you put your head on it and you can, you can get away from it. But it says uh, at the time of the end, it says the earth, uh, there'll be a distress of nations and they won't be able to figure out how to overcome it. And the sea and waves roaring. Uh, your, your climate change people like to say that's happening now. You know, sea levels going up, which I don't really believe the sea levels have gone up much. But they would want to tell us that sea levels are going to go up and half of Florida is going to be gone. I've heard that. And so they're distressed about that. It says, so distressed. And in verse 26, it says, men's hearts will be failing them for fear. Now, I've had a little bit of a heart trouble lately, a little bit of, a little bit of AFib, and I've gone to hospital three or four times on it, and uh, it's a terrible feeling when your heart starts to go bad, because that's the center of your world. Your heart starts going bad. Your energy's gone. Your thinking ability goes. You're, you're not going to be wanting to do anything, and so you realize real quick that that's, that's it. Your heart's the center of it. And you're, you're going to have to have a good heart. It says this fear is going to be so gripping that their heart, they're going to literally have a heart failure. Now, I cardiologists I spoke to not long ago said that they have developed a new diagnosis for heart trouble. And they call it a broken heart syndrome. And, and uh, when I first went to the hospital, I was only 58 years old. That was a mean age, by the way, for bypass surgery. But I had been—I've been active in my life. I've, I've been underwater over five thousand hours, swam a lot. I've been active. I've, I've jogged. And I, I, you know, I eat right. I eat McDonald's as much as I can. And so, I just uh, felt like this—this this is not going to be this problem. So they—they they gave me five days, twenty-five thousand dollars worth of thorough tests. I mean, everything from stress tests. Uh, echocardiogram, uh, radioactive dye, 
And, when, and at the end of the five days, the cardiologist comes into my room and he says, uh, we can't find anything wrong with you. I said, what? He said, we can find nothing wrong with you. You're good. You're open. Your veins aren't clogged up with anything. He says, as far as I know, he says, my diagnosis is you have the broken heart syndrome. Have you had any stress lately? What he didn't know, what I had not told him, was my mother had been dying with a, a horrible thing called dementia. Now, you know your mother. My mother was a strong woman. She was always one in charge about taking care of the house. She's smart. She, was, she could work like an animal. And all of a sudden, she gets dementia, and she starts just going downhill. And it's, I took care of her primarily, of all the other brothers. I, took, I did, you know, carried most of the load. And I didn't even realize the toll it was taking on me. I oftentimes would drop her off after I talked to her because, you know, dementia will humble you. And I remember leaving her house and crying. It's about a 30-minute ride to my house. I remember crying uh, on the way to my house. And I was thinking, God, please help my mom go home. Please help her go home. Um, because she was being humbled in every way a person can be humbled. Your mind leaves you. Your body lets you go, you know, starts going. You, Pretty soon you, you mess yourself. You can't, you know, it's just a real humbling thing. And what I didn't realize that I, that went on for seven years. So when that doctor told me, he says, I think you got a broken heart syndrome, I got thinking, I don't have any reason to be broken hearted. And then I told him, Oh, yeah, you know, I've been taking care, I've been the prime caregiver of my mother for seven years. The Bible says things are going to get so bad before the second coming that people and, and nations are going to have men's hearts failing them for fear. It won't be because they're clogged up. It won't be because they don't exercise and they don't eat right. It'll be because of what they see going on. That's So how powerful is fear? Well, powerful enough to kill you over a long period of time. Powerful enough to do that. He says it. It's amazing. The Bible's an amazing book. And it says, and for looking those things which are coming upon earth, for the powers of heaven shall be shaken. You could say, even in the time we're living, the powers of our area and our nation and, our, and the nations of the world have been shaken some. I just watched an hour, hour brief conference, a conference or a briefing, I think they call it, by President Trump and some bunch of associates there. By the way, they're supposed to have a six-foot rule. Them old boys were standing all beside each other. You know, I always wondered if you say everybody's supposed to say six feet, why don't you do it? Well, anyway, um, I hope they get tested. So those guys were up there. He had an order from one state for 55 million masks. You know, those masks they use. 55. He said, even Trump said, how, how, how can you need 55 million masks. So his suggestion was, you people got to start cleaning these masks and using them again. Duh. Right? Duh. You can, you can bleach some. You, you can kill the virus on it and then use it again. And so that was a great idea, and that helped a lot. Uh, he talked about people donating masks, but I didn't realize uh, how serious it was of uh, the shortage of those masks all over the United States. He's got, man, he's got people 
like our car companies have switched some of their manufacturing to manufacturing those masks now. They have voluntarily went to their went to their uh, warehouses where they have stock for their employees and taken the masks their employees because some of those you can use for that. Apple donated two million masks that they had just stocked for their employees, which will work. So the people all around the country are stepping up for this. I appreciate that. It was good. Uh, let me just say, uh, let's go back over this passage and see what it has to say for us. In verse 8, first listen to what Jesus has to say about things, not the news. In verse 8, under the angel of the church this morning, right, these things saith the first and the last, which is dead and is alive. You and I as born-again believers, one of our members recently just told me, I think I've had a news overload. He says, I've watched too much media. I got to quit watching media. Another member said to me, I, have, I haven't watched media in two days. He didn't know what was going on. He said, because I can't take it. Hearts fail him for fear. In other words, even as a born-again believer, this stuff you see on the media will have an effect on you. It will, it could change you and hurt you. And basically in verse 8, he says to this church, the name being crushed, they're being crushed under persecution. They're being in a horrible time. He says, listen to what I'm saying, not what everybody else is saying. In times like these, we need a savior. In times like these, we need an anchor. Be very sure, oh, be very sure your anchor holds and grips a solid rock. Keep going back to the Bible. It's worked for over 2,000, almost 2,000 years now for people that have been in all kinds of situations a whole lot worse than what we're going through right now. And so it'll work. The media of our day is a fear-based and bad news-based media. If it's not bad news, they really don't want to cover it. If, if you got a controversy, they'll show up, want to do a report on you. And also, most, for the majority of the people in media, they're faithless, meaning they do not have faith. And so their eyes are blinded. They can't see, really, because we as born-again believers have our eyes opened. We see spiritual things. We know things, how the end of the world's going to end, and, what are, and about sin, and about human nature, and about life that they have no concept of. So as a born-again believer that has read the Bible a few times and dwelt with the Holy Spirit, you literally have the mind of Christ. They don't have that. So out there just making it up as they go, contradicting each other. Uh, you can tell who you are or what you are by who you trust in. Who you trusting in? You're trusting in the power of the American economy, which they talk so highly about. That bothers me when they talk like that. They talk about we're the greatest nation in the world. Oh, stop talking like that. You know, they talk about how we're just the greatest, the biggest, and the baddest. That doesn't take long to change. That stuff can do. Trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's who we want to trust in. We keep clinging to him. When I was 17, almost 18 years old, I decided to trust in the Lord Jesus. I did, what did I know? 17, 18, man. I just know much about anything. I just, uh, I was just beginning in my adulthood, really, getting ready to get out of high school, um, attack, you know, trying to figure out how to make a living, to be honest with you. And didn't quite know which area to go. And I had a girlfriend I was pretty much in love with, thought I was getting married, which I did. And so I had a lot of responsibility coming my way and as the head of the house. And boy, that was just about make your knees weak. 
And at 17, I just decided I'm going to trust in Jesus. I can trust in all kinds of stuff, but I'm going to trust in Jesus. But to trust in Jesus, you have to throw off everybody else's philosophy. Everybody has a philosophy. You, you, get, you people know that when you go and ask somebody, what do you think? They have a philosophy of life. Then you go another person, they got a philosophy of life. They also got a philosophy of work. They got a philosophy of marriage. They got a philosophy of everything. Everybody's got an opinion, amen? Um, but I had to throw off, and this, these names might not be familiar to you that are, that are young, but these older people understand, I threw off the philosophy of Jimi Hendrix. Jimi Hendrix had a philosophy. It was rock and roll, drugs, and immorality. That was his philosophy of life. Just pursue those things and you'll be happy. You're going to be happy. He died 27 years old. I threw off the, the philosophy of Elvis Presley. Uh, his philosophy was uh, have fun, uh, drink, enjoy rock and roll. He died at 42 years old. I threw off the philosophy of Led Zeppelin, which had a philosophy of do hard drugs, psychedelic drugs, uh, and, and have... Uh, Drugs and immorality. I threw off the philosophy of Playboy, Playboy, Penthouse. I threw off the philosophy of Hollywood. Hollywood was beating on my door saying, hey, fame, notoriety is where it's at. I threw off the philosophy of humanism. That means man is the center of everything, that we basically are the purpose for all. all. I threw off the philosophy of agnosticism, which tried to tell me that you really can't know anything for certain. Nothing really you can know is for certain. Uh, I threw out the philosophy of atheism. Atheism said there's no God. Why well, God didn't make this thing, especially didn't make it in those six days. I had to throw out the philosophy of polytheism. That was with the philosophy that there's more than one God, that Jesus was just one of many gods, that he was just like the Buddhists believe or, or like the Hindus believe. Hindus have thousands of gods. I had, to throw the, I had to throw off the liberal Christian philosophy. They tried to convince me that uh, the Bible wasn't reliable, that they had tried to convince me the miracles written in the Bible were really put in there by the people that wrote it. It didn't really happen. No supernatural. They tried to tell me the only real reliable part of the Bible that we even think is is Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. I thought, what? Yeah, that's all the liberal really believes. You start talking to a liberal and questioning him, uh, do you believe in the miracles of Jonah? Do you believe in the miracles of Noah? Do you believe in the six days of creation? Do you, they're gonna, their head's going to start going like this. No, 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 no. We don't believe in those because they don't. Now, they'll try to tell you they believe in Jesus Christ after that, but it's not the Jesus you believe in. It's another Jesus. And it's another spirit, but it's not the Jesus of the Bible. I had to throw off the moderate Christian philosophy. That is do all things in moderation type philosophy. That is, don't get too caught up in church. Now, I only go to church once a week at the, at the most. Don't, don't get up and read your Bible. You can't know what it is. Only a priest can know. Only a preacher can know what the Bible means. So you're not going to be able to know what that is. And, and, so, and, and by the way, there's, who knows which Bible is the right one. And so they tried to throw me off base. I had to throw all of that and so much more off and decide to believe in what Jesus said and what the Bible said. Now, all these years, that's held me in good stead. Now I'm on the other end of life from 17, and I can tell you I am so glad that I trusted Jesus. I'm so glad 
that I stuck with the old King James Bible. What I re didn't realize then, but I do now, is that really was the best Bible in the English language. And what it says is, is are the best words ever written on earth and in heaven. The Bible says the word of God is forever settled in heaven. So in verse 8 there, it says in chapter 2, Revelation, trust in what I say. That's what Jesus said. Verse 9, he says, I know thy works, tribulation, and poverty, but thou art rich. In your life, you're going to have tribulation. You might as well mark it down. You very well may have poverty. You, you can mark it down. In fact, people that had a lot of money last week do not have a lot of money now. Stock market went down. All the gain that the stock market made since Trump got in office has been lost. And now is at the level Trump went in office. So if you kept the stock that you bought in 2000, and let's say it had tripled or quadrupled, and you were walking around saying, man, I am rich. In the last, what, week or two, all of that's gone back to what you bought it for. So you haven't made any money at all. And, so many, and, and then it could even go dip further and lose what you have. I believe this life will be filled with work, hard work, tiring work, and sometimes seemingly even fruitless work. That's what this life will be filled with. In, in 2 Corinthians 5, 6, it says we just simply have to walk by faith. Therefore, we are always confident, knowing that while at home in the body, we're absent from the Lord. For we walk by faith and not by sight. Don't you let anything in this world, whatever it happens, whether he said, I know your works. I know your tribulation. I know your poverty. But thou art rich. Thou art rich. Uh, I tell you, sometimes I think we're going to be shocked when we get to heaven. Some of the last will be first. And some of the first, what we thought were, woo, they're going to be last. Now, I said not all of them. It says many. It's misquoted a lot. Many of the first should be last, not all of them. Some of the first will be first. But old Bob Jones Jr. used to say in chapel, he used to say some old woman in a rocking chair in the east part of Kentucky up in the hills that may have lost all her teeth but one or two, but has been a prayer warrior and loved Jesus and done what he wanted to do, may be exalted to the, one of the higher places in heaven. And some famous evangelist that you, anybody in the country would know his name, may be way back, way way down the list from that old girl. Spiritual life is not success in this world, for sure, most of the time. But if we walk by sight, the Bible says basically you're going to fail. That's what he said there. you got to walk by faith. you got to walk by faith. you got to trust God. Do you believe you're rich? you believe you're rich? Amen. You are. Jesus says you're chosen. The Bible says you're chosen generation. A royal priesthood. The only royal that I'd ever be able to get would be God have to give it to me. I come from a group of junkyard dogs. I don't go back and do the genealogy of the Lytell clan. I'm afraid what I'm going to find. Uh, so far, I went back there and found out that we're mixed. We're mixed. We're mixed. We have some black folks in our background. We have some squaws in our background. Uh, who knows who I got back there? That's probably why I don't have gray hair. It don't quite know what to do. So it just did what it just stayed with what it was. Galatians 2 20 says, I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. 
That's good stuff. So we walk by faith. We cannot be detoured by the paper dragons of this life. Thirdly, fear nothing but God. Look in verse 10. Fear none of those things that thou shalt suffer. Behold, the devil shall cast some of you into prison that you may be tried. And you shall have tribulation ten days. Be thou faithful unto death, and I'll give thee a crown of life. Fear and faith cannot cohabitate. Fear is energy taker and energy waster. Fear causes you to make stupid and costly decisions. Only fear God. Luke 12, 5. I love this verse, and boy, you ought to mark it in your Bible, circle it, because this will keep you in good stead your whole life. Luke 12, 5 says, But I will forewarn you whom you shall fear. Fear him, which after he hath killed, hath power to cast into hell. And this is this part about it really hits me. Yea, he says, I say unto you, fear him. Jesus' words. Wow. Fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. Fear of God will keep you doing right. Fear of God will keep you away from the, from the uh, strange woman. Fear of God will keep you from wasting your life on material possessions. The fear of God will keep you in the Bible, keep you reading the Bible. Fear of God will cause you to go door-to-door soul winning, cause you to do bus ministry, cause you to go nursing homes and help the old folks. Uh, fear of God will motivate you and drive you and help you. Uh, because you know God says what he means and means what he says, and it's big. It's big. And you will suffer. This isn't one of those, this is the opposite of Jim Baker, uh, what he used to preach. This is the opposite of, of the curly top in Texas, of what he does preach. Uh, this is the opposite of, of, of Benny Hinn in Orlando. All of them are health and wealth preachers. What they basically say is God wants you Healthy, wealthy, and wise. Everything's going to go good if you're right with God. And when things don't go good, you've sinned against God. Think of the horrible guilt that causes on people. When the Bible says this, in Philippians 1.29, it says, For unto you it is given in behalf of Christ not only to believe on him, but to suffer for his sake. Philippians 3.10, Paul says that I may know him. That's experientially know him, not just know him in your head. And the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his suffering being made conformable unto death. What in the world, Paul? You're asking to be crucified, be scourged like Jesus was? Well, he knew what that was, didn't he? He didn't flippantly say that. Because by this time, he had already been scourged a few times. Wow. 2 Timothy 3.12 says, Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ shall suffer persecution. There are so many other places. Fourthly, in verse 11, remember what is at stake. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith in the churches, and this is what's at stake. He that overcometh shall not be heard of the second death. If you're born once, you're going to die twice. If you're born once physically, you miss Jesus, you reject Jesus, you're going to die and then be judged at the great white throne judgment. And then the Bible says you'll be cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. Who is God? Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. So God is life. Anything without God is death. So what is hell? 
Beside being flame and heat and all that other stuff, it's the absence of God. What is pure horror? The absence of God. What is, what is, what is the most detestable thing you could imagine? The absence of God. In other words, darkness is just the absence of light. Darkness isn't anything. It's just the absence of light. But light is something. It's an energy. It's a power. And so these, these dear folks, he says, the promise we got, he says, listen, you trust me. You listen to my words. Uh, don't, don't be a disillusion when you have trouble and suffering. You, you believe in me. Put your faith in me. Fear me. And you'll not be hurt by the second death. That's good news, because you'll be born twice. Born once physically, when you were born as a child, you trusted Christ your Savior, you were born again of, of the Spirit and of water, the Bible said. So now you're born twice. Well, if you're born twice, you only die once. All of us got to die physically, except for the rapture. Well, I'll be like, that crowd's going to be, that's a good crowd, like, whoop, gone. Before my voice had hit the back of that uh, auditorium, if the rapture came, I'd be gone before my voice hit the back of the auditorium, probably before my voice hit the front. That's how fast it's going to be. The Bible says twinkling of an eye. So it's the, it's the smallest divisible amount of time. Twinkling of an eye. Faster than that. Jesus is going to come and take us. You know, if you miss that, you're going to die. Death is not pretty. I've been at the bedside of people dying. I was there when Dick Carr died. Gave his last breath. That's quite an honor, really, because... The guy started breathing 80 years before that, and he breathed every day, 24 hours a day, for 80 years, and I got to be there when he breathed his last breath. I've been to a few people, by the grace of God, that I was there to, to be there when they died. It's, it's moving. It's powerful uh, when people die and, and move on. But it's, uh, we're going to be delivered from death, period, really. Well, physical death, but then we're going to be delivered from really what is the worst death, that second death. I hope you don't partake in the second death, whatever happens. Don't, don't, don't participate in unbelief and have to face Jesus instead of your Savior as your judge. Everybody's going to face Jesus, and everybody's going to be, be judged by Jesus. The believer's going to be judged as, as their Savior. And they're going to be judged for the works they did, good or bad. The unbeliever is going to be judged. At, he'll be their judge and their condemner because they rejected him in unbelief. And they'll go to a place called hell. As I mentioned, absence from God. Well, I wouldn't want to be there. I like the motivation that Jesus had. He looked for the reward. Although it's interesting in the last verse there in verse 11, he says, He that overcometh shall not be hurt by the second death. Never see. He's given them something to look for. God believes in reward. Jesus believes in reward. He said, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, what did he do? He endured the cross. He despised the shame. He despised it. Ah, all of what he suffered, that scourging, beard plucked out, spit on, stripped naked in public, humiliated, jeered, made fun of, crucified, whatever in the world, man, that crucifixion would be something. The Bible says, how did he make it? He knew what was past it, the joy set before him. How are you going to make it? 
Because there's joy set before you. Why does God want to talk to you about heaven? Why does Revelation describe the new Jerusalem? Why does it describe it, it being uh, impregnated with jewels, 12 different kinds of jewels? Why does it say the streets are of gold? Why do we need to know that? Why does he talk about the tree of life? Why does he talk about getting down and, 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 and taking the, the, the tree, that bear, this tree of life bears 12 fruit once a month, and we get to eat of it? Why does he say all that? Why All of that stuff mentioned in the Bible, why, why is it? To keep you and I in focus of the reward. There's not a thing wrong with that. Jesus said, the Bible says, Hebrews chapter 12, for the joy that was set before him, he was able to endure all that. He thought, he said when he got through Calvary, he was going to be resurrected. He was going to be Lord of all, King of kings, set down on the right hand of the throne of God, I'll make intercession for us. There were many, he was going to have millions and millions of people believe in him and follow him and be be birthed by the Holy Spirit into his family, making up his body for which he is the head. And, and wow, that kept him going. That kept him going. I like, I got to talk in verse, uh, Romans chapter 8, 18. There's an interesting little word there. It says, for I Paul said, for I reckon the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. I'll finish this. I'm done. Here's what it says. Once in a while, the Greek really just, it just makes it, it's like adding sugar to coffee. You can drink the coffee without sugar, but you drink sugar, it's a little sweeter. It says here, what does that word worthy mean? It can mean to drive by. Something, something not worthy is, 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 is something you drive by. Let me, let, me, let me just say it this way. The sufferings of this life are not even worthy a drive-by compared to the glory that should be. He's saying the things that we go through, and I'm, I'm not trying to diminish anybody's suffering. Man, I've heard some sufferings, you know, lasted a lifetime, some of them 40 years, 50 years. I always see Mike Johnson over there, sitting over there. God bless his soul. Love you, Mike. And he was born that uh, crippled up. Mike has not been able to run like I've been able to run. He's not been able to ride a bicycle like I can. He never rode a motorcycle. If he ever rode a motorcycle, I don't think he lived yet. Why me and why him? But even as much and as great as that suffering has caused him all these years, the glory that Christ has prepared for us isn't even worthy a drive-by of that. It's not even drive-by worthy. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not in your own understanding. In all your ways, do what? Acknowledge Him. Put Him first. He'll direct your path. Young people, God will direct you all the way home. All You don't have to panic. Some of you married, some not married. You people that aren't married, sometimes you maybe worry about that. Where am I going? Where's my woman? What's she going to be like? Now, it's important you get a good woman. Amen? Would we hear an amen on that? Important you get a good woman. I got a good woman. Unworthy as I am, old junkyard dog, Billy got a good woman. I got a woman that has literally 
made my life wonderful. I would wish the same for you. That Chris Barrows, I mean, as unworthy as he is, he got a good woman. I don't know how he did it. I don't know whether he conned her, bribed her, lied to her. I don't know what it is, but he's married to her with two children now. She's stuck with him. And, But I'm going to tell you, if Chris Barrows ever turns out for something, something for God, a lot of the credit's got to go to that woman. You say, brother, how'd that happen? God. God. Got to look on your heart, and he'll help you. He'll cause a good woman rather than Jezebel, rather than Delilah. Now, if, if any girl comes to you and says, my name is Jezebel or Delilah, I want you to run the other way. But uh, if a, I have no offense meant, but if you, you don't have to work. Just trust the Lord. Trust the Lord. Keep busy doing his will. And uh, keep your head up, and God will help you. And I end with this. Fear none of those things which thou shalt suffer. Christians, we do not have the spirit of fear, but of love and of power, or of power and of love and of a sound mind. God help us today. May the word of God help some folks. In Jesus' name, amen. If you would like to know more about the Lord Jesus Christ, you may contact us at the church website, gospelbaptistchurch.com, or you can go to Facebook and type in Gospel Baptist Church Bonita Springs, Florida. Also, you could call the church office at 239-947-1285. Thank you, and God bless.